I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast. As regular listeners know, here at the RHS we're passionate about gardens, gardening and all things green. Each of our fortnightly podcasts is packed with practical seasonal advice, features and interviews with people who share our passion for plants. So whether you're a gardening expert or horticultural novice, in our podcast there's something to interest everyone. My name's Tony Dickerson and I'm one of the team of horticultural advisors based here at RHS Garden, Wisley in Surrey. Coming up later on, wonderful watering holes for wildlife, how to design the perfect pond for gardens, small and large. But first, one of the big attractions for visitors at Wisley at this time of year is the spectacular exhibit, Butterflies in the Glass House. Hundreds of colorful exotic insects take to the air and mingle with the tropical plants and flowers to create a breathtaking display of natural beauty. We went to explore the flora and fauna on display this year, my name's Greg Omden. I'm a horticulturalist in the tropical section of the Glasshouse. Between January and March, we run our butterfly event from the 14th of January through to the 5th of March. Um, during that time, it's my job to take care of the butterflies, um, hatch them out, and make sure they have a good life here at Wisley. So we're currently standing in the gallery area of the glass house, um, just looking inside the pupariums we've got here. So the pupariums can hold around 300 pupae and all the different species that are in there will hatch out at different times. So sometimes you'll come in, there'll be one hatched out and other times you'll come in like yesterday, I came in, there were 85. So that was one big <laughs> lot to put out in display. So we've got a range of about 50 different species here at Wisley. Currently at the moment we've got some of the owl butterflies, which are one of, one of the biggest butterflies we've got in the display. Um, we've also got some leaf wings, which have really interesting um, pupae cases. Uh, one of my particular favourites is the tree nymph, which is almost kind of a gold looking pupae case, which is quite interesting. So the butterflies usually live roughly between three to four weeks. Um, it obviously depends on species. Some of the, like the small glass wings, they'll live up to six months. So here we are at the pupariums in the glass house. Um, these are basically uh, wooden boxes which have a heater at the base. Um, then there's capillary matting put over the top, which is kept constantly moist to keep humidity up. 
The humidity levels got to be around 80% humidity and between 25 and 28 degrees. So when we receive the pupae, they come in the post, um, kind of lined up in polystyrene boxes. And they, we glue them onto bamboo canes using Copydex glue, um, as it's the only non-toxic glue, um, so it doesn't affect the butterflies as they hatch out. So then the bamboo canes are placed onto, we've got like hooks um, within the puparium. They're placed onto there um, and we allow enough space for each butterfly to hatch out and kind of lay its wings as it hatches out. Well, the actual hatching is like between two and three hours to kind of hatch out, but um, from sticking them to the butterflies going display is about three to four days. One of my favorite species this year is the jazzy leaf wing. Um, it's fairly simple looking inside. It's quite a, it's kind of a dark blue with a white stripe, but the, when the wings are shut, it's almost camouflaged. Um, it has quite a crinkly edge to the wing as well. They're quite an unusual one and they're quite small. So that's a good one to look out for. Hello, my name is Christopher Young and I'm team leader for the glasshouse here at RHS Garden Wisley. We've got a temperate and tropical glasshouse here, 15 metres tall. And we grow everything from tree ferns to cacti to succulents to large bananas set in this kind of magnificent landscape. Our team of six horticulturalists working with me, and from day-to-day -day tasks involve anything from care and cultivation of larger specimens, watering, potting, and growing new plants for our future displays. Obviously, winter is the ideal time to carry out things like glasshouse cleaning to optimise kind of growing conditions for the following spring. Clean glass, ensuring the glasshouse is kind of swept out throughout to reduce any chance of pests, uh, pest and disease levels kind of building up. Um, if you're overwintering things like tender plants. It's kind of ideal to keep checking them periodically. Uh, make sure things like fallen leaves or yellow leaves are removed, as this will reduce the chances of pathogens such as botrytis or grey mould uh, from taking hold. In warmer glasshouses, sometimes scarred flies or fungus gnats, as they're known, can be a real issue over the uh, winter months. They kind of thrive in like humid glasshouses, so like ventilation and drainage is important for the plants. So if you, you find they're becoming a problem, use things like sticky traps to attract the adults, but also uh, like raising plants to increase drainage uh, would improve things. At the moment, the highlight in the temperate glasshouse is uh, our aloe collection. It's all coming into flower at the moment. Um, possibly my favorite has to be aloe spendimissima, <laughs> which is looking absolutely spectacular. Uh, they look like red fireworks just exploding, erupting from a rosette of leaves. Aloe spendimissima is about a meter and a half. But some of them obviously vary from being quite dwarf all the way up to like tree aloes. So at the moment, uh, our citrus collection, which many people grow at home in their own conservatories, it's just starting to come into flower. Um, our plants are just covered in lovely uh, white flowers, really heavily scented, which is perfect on these kind of sunny days. For me and my team, the wonders of working under glass is that on these really cold, frosty days in January, February, uh, we can escape into the warmer, tropical climes of our glasshouse. The glasshouse team here at RHS Garden, Wisley in Surrey. The Butterflies event runs until the 5th of March. See rhs.org.uk forward slash Wisley Butterflies. I'm Tony Dickerson and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Although it's much colder outside than in the heated comfort of the glasshouse, the gardens at Wisley in winter are full of beautiful and surprising sights and scents. 
My colleague Jenny Bowden met up with the head of the formal garden team, Gemma Nietzsche, to go on a guided tour of some of the seasonal highlights. So I'm here today with Gemma Nietzsche, who is team leader on formal ornamental and I've also got with me Verity Bradbury whom we'll be speaking to in just a few minutes uh, about winter highlights in the garden. So first of all Gemma what is your role here in Wisley? So I'm the team leader and uh, I have six full-time members of staff, some volunteers, students and um, an apprentice and a specialist student and between us we look after all the formal sections of the garden. So this includes um, when you walk in as a visitor through the main entrance, um, that area around the laboratory, uh, the canals, the walled gardens, um, up through top terrace, up to the mixed borders. Um, the Bowes Line Rose Garden, Bowles Corner and the Model Gardens. Wow, <laughs> that's an incredible patch to look after. And which are your favourite parts of the job? I enjoy getting out and working with the team when I can. And I also like teaching and um, I just like the job in general, the varied having some office work to do and having teaching and then being outside and doing the practical side of it as well. Cool. And so in your area, what are the kinds of things that visitors can be looking out for at this time of year? Um, At the moment, the mixed borders are looking really good. Um, A lot's died back. We've left um, structural seed heads because they look really interesting, um, such as uh, the cortaderia, which is pampas grass. Um, There's some nice monada bergamot seed heads um, that are looking really architectural. So that's a good spot to visit. And what are the next jobs on the agenda? What are you going to be uh, looking at in the near future, job-wise? The next big job we've got is rose pruning. So we've got a really large uh, rose garden and we're going to be looking at starting to prune all the roses in February. Um, We're also cutting a lot of the herbaceous plants back um, and we're going to go and collect some birch and use that for staking uh, in February as well. So, Verity, what's your area? What area do you look after here at Wisley? So I'm the team leader for the Herbaceous team, and that covers the Glasshouse landscape, the Wild Garden, and Seven Acres, which is also home to the Winter Walk. Wow. And the Winter Walk is quite a new area, so tell us what visitors can look forward to if they come to us uh, over winter time. So the Winter Walk was started um, in... Autumn of 2013 is when we did the first bed. We planted the first bed up and it sort of evolved from there. Um, We've had lots more money put into it, which is great. And it now goes around an entire loop of seven acres, um, which the visitors can enjoy at their leisure. So we've got things there. We've got uh, cornice, which is the dogwoods for winter stem colour. We've got salix, which is willows for winter stem colour as well. We have lots of lovely hammermelis, which is the witch hazels. We also have um, hellebores, Lots of conifers. We're trying to make conifers a bit more fashionable again, so there's lots of lovely conifers that people can come and see. We've also got sarcococca for scent and daphnes as well for <coughs> scent as well. So it's really, really nice. And we have just planted 100 Edgeworthies as well, which is well worth coming to see. Um, they have, they're not flowering yet. They're just in bud, but they will very soon be flowering and they're going to look stunning. And they also have a nice scent as well. And it's all set amongst with a huge pond nearby so it just sets off those winter stems absolutely perfectly doesn't it it does you're right they're they're around the main lake on seven acres and you get lovely views across and when the sun's shining like it is today that just sets the color off beautifully so yeah absolutely lovely 
the long shadows. <laughs> and um, uh, what are the key jobs that are coming up for your team this winter time? So we've just sort of finished our cutting back um, on the landscape and all that sort of thing. Um, we're now starting mulching, really. So we're going to be putting down lots of lovely mulch to try and help with our, our annual weeds in the summer. Um, and then we will be doing the cutback of the winter stems. Uh, we'll be doing that sort of late March, April time, where we just cut them all back down to a few buds, which then means they'll keep their lovely bright colour for next year. When they regrow, they'll be nice and bright again for next year. So mm. maybe, maybe, maybe you could tell us a bit more about the pruning of the cornice because uh, I've had questions about that and uh, people say that if they keep pruning down low we are supposed to prune um, just within a few buds of the previous year's growth uh, the plants are just going to get taller and taller because you're, you're always just pruning within a couple mm. of buds of the previous year's growth will they tolerate being cut much much lower into the old growth and starting again? Well, the way we do ours is we, when you plant a cornice or a salix, leave it, don't prune it the first year after planting, leave it for a year or two, depending on how it's establishing. Let the roots get established first before you cut all the top growth off, otherwise it won't be very happy. And then when you come around to pruning it, um, take it back to a nice framework. So you do want to take it fairly low, but you want to leave a framework of stems so there's, there's still buds there for new growth to come from. And then, yeah, in the following years, do still take it down just to a couple of buds. It will eventually get taller and woodier, but after that time, when it gets really tall established and woody you might look at replacing it anyway but to be honest a lot of ours have been in for quite some time and they're still looking lovely still at a reasonable size it's just important after pruning as well to make sure we we give ours a, a good a good feed we put some um, general purpose fertilizer around it and a nice mulch as well just helps keep the water in stops from getting too stressed in the hot dry summers as well yeah they look absolutely fantastic so we're, we've moved around now on the winter walk, so we're, we're by our bed that contains 100 Edgeworthias and we're just having a look at them and they're quite curious growing things. They sort of have pale, uh, pale brown stems which sort of come up from quite various different places from the base. They sort of intertwine with each other and look quite interesting, especially en masse. And they've got these lovely sort of creamy white uh, flower buds that are just drooping down waiting to open and they'll start opening sort of end of January time and um, they're going to open to a nice yellow colour and they have a nice lemony scent as well so hopefully again on this mass they're going to fill the air on this back path where we're standing and people should be able to smell it from quite some distance away and then come and come and look at them up close. So Verity, is there anything else we can be looking forward to over the next uh, month or so? Well, we were very busy this autumn planting lots of lovely bulbs and hopefully one of the highlights of those will be some iris hystroides types so we can go up and have a look at those. Fantastic. So this is iris hystroides? Yeah, this is iris hystroides and we've got two types in here. We've got palm springs and we've got one called finola as well. Um, and these are going to be lovely. The finola is white, and I think Palm Springs is a sort of a dark purpley blue colour, and they should look really lovely when they come into flower. So they're just only poking up above the ground now, but in, give it until February, and they should come out looking lovely. And they should be lovely deep colours, say like little gems un underneath all the hamamelis here so they should look really really nice and we've also planted lots of crocus as well generally around and about on the winter walk um so well worth coming to have a look at all the all the bulbs that'll be coming out shortly and does the iris is that one that will come back um quite happily as a perennial the hystroides types is one that i've been told is more reliable at perennial flowering over the reticulata ones so we hold out good hope for this one yeah in its perennial behavior when did they go in originally these bulbs so 
So all of these bulbs that we've just been talking about all went in this autumn and all together irises and crocuses, every, all the bulbs we planted this year came to about 70,000 bulbs wow. and we had um, all our team out here planting and volunteers as well. It did take us several weeks to put them all in <laughs> but I'm hoping, fingers crossed, they'll put on a lovely display when they actually uh, come into flower. Looking forward to that. Jenny Bowden speaking to Gemma Nietzsche, leader of the formal garden team, about some of the winter highlights here at RHS Garden Wisley. There are plenty of other wonderful winter events and attractions at our other three RHS gardens. Hyde Hall in Essex, Rosemore in Devon and Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire. We've got everything from willow weaving to woodland walks and pruning masterclasses. For more details, see rhs.org.uk forward slash events search. And finally, ponds. Water is, of course, a key resource in any garden, and a carefully designed pond can be an attractive addition to any garden. It enables you to explore the vast range of water plants available and will attract a whole range of wildlife and birds to your plot. Now is the perfect time of year to plan a pond. We spoke to Bernard Boardman about the benefits a pond can bring and about how to go about designing and building one to suit you. So yeah, Bernard, lots of, lots of people have ponds in their gardens. Some don't have them yet. There's usually room for a pond in a garden. Why would we bother? Well, I just think they add a, another dimension. There are the obvious benefits, you know, to wildlife, dragonflies and damselflies darting around. Um, it will encourage small insects, so there'll be animals attracted that you probably never see like bats. And I think what's so amazing is how quickly creatures move in. If you do put a pond in, they'll find you within days. Yes. And uh, when I put one in, a dragonflies were the first to come and visit. So if you're convinced and uh, inspired, uh, what kind of things do you need to consider if you do want to install a pond? Um, space obviously will dictate how big your pond's going to be. I always tell people to have the biggest pond they possibly can because the bigger the pond, the easier it is to vary the depths. So what do you think the, the optimum depth is for a healthy pond? You're really looking at something about 60 centimetres, a couple of feet. If you want to keep fish, you need to go deeper. Obviously you're limited by the space you've got available, but should they be in sun or shade? Bit of shade is good because you want to have cool parts of the, the pond, little bits where, where it will be a cooler area for fish or insects to go into. Um, and also if the pond gets too hot, you're going to have more problems with algae and um, excessive weed growth. I would try and avoid full sun, I would also try and avoid very windy spots. I've had experience of ponds where the wind has gone across it and you go home and you think your pond sprung a leak and it's a hot day and the wind just sucks the water out of it. You lose so much through evaporation. Is this a good time of year to be building a pond? I, I think it's a great time of year to be building a pond because... If you build your pond during the winter months, you've got plenty of time to do it. And then you've also straight into the excitement of planting your new pond up in the spring. And that's when the nurseries are going to be getting their new stocks in. OK, so what do we have to do? Well, mostly you have to dig holes. <laughs> but of course, you don't have to dig it. You can build a pond 
sort of above ground. You can build a wall and enclose your pond in it. You might want to sit on the edge of it. The best liners are butyle plastics. They're very, very flexible and you can work in all your different levels. You do need to be very careful that you haven't got stones or anything sharp underneath the pond. So put plenty of lining material underneath it if you're using a liner. Using tap water to fill it, or uh, some people say you're supposed to start off with a, a bucket of somebody else's pond water. If you can get hold of a bucket full of somebody else's pond, that's great because there'll all be all sorts of microorganisms in there that will eventually populate your pond. It just speeds things up a bit. If you're, you have to fill your pond with tap water, leave it for a day or two before you add anything to it. Um, I always like to try and collect rainwater. So if you've got water butts somewhere, use that water. It's always better. People sometimes like to make ponds out of uh, barrels. Um, Obviously that's not a very big space, so could you suggest a selection of plants that won't overshadow it, that won't get too out of hand too quickly in a small container like that? There, there are lots of water lilies now that are suited. So a few a small water lilies, some iris, maybe one or two reeds, water forget-me-nots that'll run around. They, they'll fill it quite quickly. There's lots and lots of information out there. Um, just have fun doing it looking for it and people are often quite concerned about safety around ponds are there any measures we can take to make sure our ponds are safe for children and animals most animals will be quite safe around the pond um, cats and dogs know how to behave around water i suppose our biggest worries are children what i would say is that you should get your family involved right from the start kids love getting dirty so let them help mum and dad make the pond. If they're involved right from the start, they will understand your pond. Make sure there's a big shallow margin. If somebody does have a mishap and falls over, they're not straight into deep water. And just enjoy the pond, get everybody involved in it and let them understand the dangers and enjoy the wildlife, enjoy the plants. Encourage people to sit by the pond and listen to it, watch the light playing, watch the dragonflies. Just wow. enjoy it. Don't be frightened of it. As you say, you can have ponds above ground and that includes some of the smaller kind of containers. Could you tell us a bit more about what you can use to make a pond out of? Oh. A plastic bowl, <laughs> you know, you leave a bowl full of water out there and you'll have beetles in it by the end of the day. Anybody that's left a paddling pool out overnight will be astonished by what's built up in there. Um, so you can go from the tiniest bowl to your whole garden full of pond. <laughs> there are no limits. Bernard Boardman from the Wisley Garden Team. As always, you can find more information about ponds and aquatic plants on the RHS website. That's all we have time for in this edition. Remember, you can still download our special December 2016 edition of the RHS Members Podcast, which we made available to everyone, RHS members or not. It features in-depth horticultural guidance and an inspirational interview with Baroness Floella Benjamin, the newly appointed RHS Ambassador for Young People and Communities. That special programme is available to download for free from iTunes and from the RHS website. We'll be back in a fortnight. 
For now, from me, Tony Dickerson, and all the RHS podcast team, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.